couple of weeks now already about how to pray. And I really hope a couple of things. I, you know, I hope that you're being challenged, as I said earlier. I really do. Because the Word of God often challenges us, and it needs to. Sometimes it comforts us, sometimes it instructs us, but it challenges us. And, you know, I hope you've been challenged with this whole idea of God being our Father. What a beautiful way to, to pray the Lord's Prayer. But, it, but Jesus began, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and we need to start our prayers by being reminded about who God is in our relationship with Him. That we are dearly, dearly loved by this one to whom we are praying. Um, you know what I really hope? I hope your view of God has been challenged by that. A lot of people don't think of God that way. And they can't very often because they've been brought up in the church. Very often because they haven't. <laughs> but they can't come into God's presence and go, Oh, I'm with my dad. And I know he loves me. And this is the safest place on earth. Because of that love. I hope you are now praying the way Jesus taught us to pray by beginning your prayer with that focus. That celebration, that joy. And I hope, too, that you've been challenged with wine, too. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And the, the dramatic thing about that reality is that Jesus teaches us to pray after our entering in and recognizing who God is and who we are in relationship to Him, that our priority isn't ourselves in prayer, it's God. That's kind of shocking for this people in this culture, probably people in all cultures, but particularly our own. Like, this isn't about me. No, no, first and foremost, it's about your kingdom, not my kingdom. It's about your will, not my will. Wow. And I hope and I pray that since we have engaged those things, if indeed you are here, you're praying differently. That's what I'd love to know. Jesus said, don't just be hearers of the word, but also doers of it. It's like he's pulling at his hair. He said, don't just hear it. Do something with what I say to you. Are you praying differently? That's the intention of, of, of God when he speaks. Um, so we come to this, this last section, if you would, the third of three sections in this incredible prayer. And I want to tell you, there's a challenge in this again. Um... And I want to say, you know, let's recognize this. If Jesus comes along to teach his disciples and us in turn how to pray, there's probably a way how we shouldn't pray. That's kind of a given, isn't it? You get that? <laughs> we got to learn how to pray according to God's design, according to the teaching of Jesus. My goodness, when we pray according to what God calls us to, number one, we'll be more effective in prayer. Want to see God show up in power in your life? Pray the way Jesus tells you to. You get that. Uh, and number two, you know what's going to happen when we, when we pray in the way Jesus teaches us how to pray. You know, we're just going to engage God and we're going to honor God. And we're going to see God present and powerful in us. You know, who wants that, right? No, I'd rather, I'd rather doze off to sleep while I pray at night as I'm lying in, on the pillow. And No, this is dynamic stuff that Jesus is inviting into. This is our, our encounter with God. It's this that helps us to live the story. You know that, right? Gets us to the place where we just see God move in remarkable and beautiful ways. So let's jump into this whole section about Jesus teaching us, you know, you know what, to, what to ask for. And there are three things in this third section that he actually describes to us. He's saying, pray for these things. 
I'm going to talk about this later, but it's remarkable what he doesn't tell us to pray for. Note it as we go. I'll speak to it at the end. But these three things, my people, I'm teaching you how to pray. Don't miss these. All right? And the first one is in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 6, and it says this. Give us today our daily bread. Now, again, familiarity can blind us to the reality of what's going on here. We've heard it a billion times, some of us, and you just say it, and you don't really, really think that much about it. What's Jesus saying to us in that? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll confess this. I don't pray that God will provide food for me on a daily basis. Does anybody here do that? I thank God for the food. Oh, yeah, I do that. But does anybody actually say, God, I, I pray that you'll provide me the food that I need to eat and survive? Okay, now, there's something kind of odd here, right? Because Jesus explicitly tells us to pray, and we don't bother, including myself. What's going on? You know, I, I think I don't pray for my daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, because there's so much food in my life. That's fairly obvious, right? <laughs> There's Ian Watson. He's encouraged me so many times to exercise. and <laughs> uh, Keep at it, man. You know, keep going. Keep going. Um, but, you know, when there's an abundance of food, why does anybody need God to provide it? It's part of our challenge in this society. We have an abundance in so many things. We don't really believe we have much of a need across the board, which means maybe we don't need God like some other people might need God or think they need God. We do. We just don't know about it. Um, the only people that I know who probably, that I've met, that would pray this prayer with sincerity and with passion are the people of Nicaragua that I've, whom I have met who live in poverty. Some, many of you have been there, and it's what we do, you know, annually and more often. And, and, you know, you go down there, and what I learned is that very often people only have one meal a day. If you're doing well, you have two meals a day, some of the pastors we engage there have two meals a day, breakfast and supper. Um, by the way, if they're going to go out for a meal later in the week, they'll skip one of those meals through the week in order to be able to go out to buy a meal at a restaurant. But you know, there are sometimes there are people in Nicaragua who don't have any meals in the day, and they go hungry. Now, that's sad, but I'm going to tell you, when Christian people pray, give us today our daily bread in Nicaragua, they mean it from the bottom of their hearts because they are depending on God to provide them what they need desperately. They're, de they're asking God to intervene now in my life to give to me what I do not have. And that leads us, I think, to the application for our own lives in this text. In a sense, we don't need to pray for daily bread. God's, God's the provider, and he's done it in abundance. But I think what's being communicated here clearly is we're to, we're to pray to God to give us what we need, which we don't have. That's the application. Jesus is coming along and he's saying, first of all, God is your father. He's your dad. You know, it's that term of affection. He's not that angry God who's sitting in heaven and, you know, firing lightning bolts at us and angry. He loves us passionately. That's been a theme throughout. And in that context, Jesus says, go to your dad and ask him for what you really need. And he's going to give it to you. He's going to give to you what you need because he loves you. Can you imagine being a parent in Nicaragua and not being able to provide to your children the food they need to keep them from going hungry? That'd be awful. I thought of, thought of it when I was there the very first time. Little kids, some of them with reddish hair and distended bellies because they're malnourished, they're starting to starve. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like. And if I were their dad, I would long to feed them, give them what they need. 
And if human dads are like that, what must God be like with us in our need? Here's the deal. God deeply desires to provide to you what you need because he loves you. I don't know if you believe that or not. I think a lot of Christians honestly struggle to get to that point of deeply knowing in their heart of hearts, that's the God that I know, and he will because he loves me. Let me put it this way. I think God delights in giving to us the things we need. He really, really does. And, and as we come into the presence of God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be revered. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We get our priorities right. We're not at the top of the list. Quite frankly, we're at the end of the prayer. God, you are my priority. You're my passion. But then Jesus instructs us to come into the presence of our dad with our need. I want to ask right now, what, what is the need in your life? I mean, it begs the question, right? Again, we're in a society where need, we don't think, is that common. We have clothes, we have homes, we have food. That's sometimes why people in Nicaragua, blessed are the poor, right? <laughs> They're blessed. They're blessed because they know what it means to need God. But what is your need, my friends? What is your need? Um, some people might be here, and, and, and I've thought about this, and you might be lonely. Loneliness is, is an epidemic in our society. Did you know that? And loneliness is a very painful emotion. Have you ever been lonely? I have. First year at university, ah, it's terrible. Because I was lonely. Didn't have my peeps around me, you know. People. That means people in teenage language. <laughs> or it used to. I don't know. It comes and goes, right? <laughs> it was terrible. It was awful. There could be people in this room today who are lonely. You have a need for fellowship, for friendship, for community. And I'm here to tell you, to tell you today, if that's you, ask your dad for it. Because I think your dad will give it to you. And some of you might be, you might be unemployed and you need a job. Ask God to give you a job. Some of it might be financial. Some people might be really struggling financially. Don't think your dad doesn't know and that your dad doesn't have a heart for you and he isn't willing to provide to you what you need. It's an amazing uh, psalm, a verse in Psalm 37, verse 25. I love this. I've loved it for a long time. It says this. Oh, did I give you that? I didn't give you that. You know what it says? I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. God will not forsake you in your need or their children begging for bread because he's a giving God flowing from a heart of love for his people. You're not alone in your need. Never have been, never will be. The question is whether you know it and believe it, right? Same with myself. You know, some people might struggle or, or, or have a real need when it comes to family circumstance or it might be with health. You know, it, it could be a hundred things. Meaning and purpose in this society, a lot of people don't have it. Ask God for it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is walking into your heart today and into your mind and he's saying, if you have a need, ask your Father for it and he'll give it to you. It's simple. And, but as a result, we can go into the presence of God with a deep confidence, knowing who he is and what he's going to do. Now, I want to speak just briefly to this. Give us today our daily bread. You see the temporal aspect of this? Give it to us today. Uh, this, I believe, is to remind us. With all of my heart, I believe this is to remind us of the Israelites in the desert when they didn't have food. They had need, and God gave them manna. And he did it time after time after time. But when he gave the manna, he said to his people, the Israelites, only collect what you need today. 
don't, don't collect what you're going to need tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that because I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me with your whole heart that as I have provided for you today, so I will provide for you tomorrow, and I will provide for you the day after that and the day after that. Now, some yahoos went and they filled up this jar with manna for a week's or a month's worth. And what happened to it? Can you tell me? It rotted. It went bad. There's a profound lesson in that for us followers of Jesus. Jesus said, go to God and ask him to give you today your daily bread. And there's an invitation in this for us to live in such a relationship with God that we go to him day after day after day, asking for what we need in the moment, seeing him provide for us regularly and consistently. And you know what happens in that instance? We find ourselves day after day after day encountering the faithfulness and the love and the incredible beauty of a God who is present and alive. Do you, do you experience that? Sometimes no. <laughs> because we have so much stuff, we don't think we have need. You know, Matthew 6, 33 and 34, Jesus, you know, we, we talked about what comes right prior to this, but he says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the, your kingdom come, your will be done, his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. God will take care of you. And it says this, he said, therefore do not worry about, say it, Tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow, people of Christ. Just ask him for what you need today. And don't be, you know, this is, this is challenging in this culture, but don't be those people who went and wanted to hoard everything that God has given to them. Because sometimes having hoarded our stuff, it goes rotten. In the sense it has a really negative, profoundly negative effect in our lives. You're with God. God is with you. He will take care of you. Do you see what Jesus is after here? Dynamic, living relationship with your Father. Encountering his love. Second thing in this, this section on, on asking, he, he essentially asks us to engage the area of sin and forgiveness in our lives. And he says this in the next verse 12, I believe. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I'm going to use the New Living Translation version of this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's simple. That just clarifies things quickly. And you see, Jesus comes along to his people and says, you know what? We need to ask God for this all the time. Question. Do you ask God for the forgiveness of your sins in an ongoing and regular way? Don't put up your hand. <laughs> but this is the instruction of Jesus because he knows this is one of the big three. Ask God for what you need. Ask God to forgive your sin. He knows that we desperately need to experience the forgiveness of God. You know, the reality is the Bible says we're born in sin and we're born alienated from God and, 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 and we're alienated because of what we do wrong. And it's, in the Bible, it's called sin or transgression or iniquity. And this is pictured for us way back at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 talk about the creation, the creation, then it talks about how Adam and Eve, our ancestors, actually sinned and rebelled against God. And even though God continued to love him, at the end of chapter 3, he basically ushers them out of Eden and beyond a relationship with himself. It says, Genesis chapter 3, 23 and 24, So the Lord God banished him, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, an angel, 
and a, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. <laughs> he says, you're not coming back in because you have sinned and I am a God of holiness and the two cannot coexist. I want to tell you, my friends, that's why we needed Jesus to come, to die on a cross, to shed his blood, that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might go from separation with God through forgiveness by faith back into a relationship with him again. We get to walk back into the garden and to be with God. That's the possibility here. That's the incredible possibility here. So Jesus says to anyone who has never approached God and said, Lord, I, I really need you to forgive me for my sin and I pray that you will. And I've never asked before, but Lord, I want to be yours. I want to walk into that relationship with you by my faith in Jesus and I want to become your child so that I can call you my dad so that you can love me the way I need loved. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if there's anybody here who's never prayed that prayer, but you can. And because Jesus says to ask God for forgiveness, we know that God will forgive us if we sincerely ask. But there's another element to this. So if, if that's you, I'd really, really strongly encourage you to do that. But there's another element here because specifically in this context, Jesus is speaking to his followers, people who believe in him. Um, we are to ask forgiveness of God on an ongoing and regular basis simply because... Um, we continue to sin even though we have become a child of God. Anybody here who has managed to avoid that? Yeah, I see those hands. I don't see hands because it doesn't happen. We don't become perfect when we become a child of God. We just become people who are forgiven. The reality is God in Christ comes along to us and he says, you know what, I want you to come back to me time and time and time again. Just clear away what's come between us. Just clear it away. And he illustrated it with marriage. And I'm going to speak specifically to married men. Now, this could go the other way as well, but I just like, maybe it's because I'm a guy. I don't know. I just, it works. Guys, have you ever, um, you know, said the wrong thing and hurt your wife? Who hasn't done that? <laughs> right? Have you ever prioritized something else, sometimes even unconsciously as opposed to her? and you've wronged her, right? Have you ever come to that place where, you know, you're, you're, you're in this relationship called marriage and, 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 and you've acted in a selfish way? Of course we have. It happens with some regularity because we're human. How do you get back into that connection and closeness with your wife? I'll tell you, there's one way that happens, and that's when you go to her and you say, I'm sorry for what I have done. Will you forgive me? And by the way, I really want to encourage guys, women, use those words. Just don't say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because I wronged you. And you know what? When the forgiveness comes, then there's an intimacy, a connection, a, a closeness that, that reemerges. You, you, you rediscover in your marriage relationship that, quite frankly, all of us long for. And I want to tell you, with God, it's exactly the same way. When we sin as his children, we don't lose relationship. We're still his kids. He still loves us dramatically. When we sin, we just need to come to him and say, God, I'm sorry, will you forgive me for my sin? And this intimacy, this fellowship is restored. And that is what God wants with you. That's amazing. The God of heaven, whose name is to be hallowed, 
who's brought his kingdom and is going to transform the whole world. He wants intimate connection with you and with me. And as a result, Jesus says, just come to him and confess your sin. Seek that fellowship. Embrace that reality and stay close to your God. You see, see Jesus coming along and saying, he's saying, pray that you would stay in right relationship with your father. And then he comes along and he adds to it and he says, forgive us um, our, as was the case. Can we have that last verse put up again, please? Verse uh, 12. And it says, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? Or forgiven our debtors. Now, this is a really interesting and, again, challenging dynamic because, you know, this is something Jesus is, does not say is negotiable. God, forgive me as I have forgiven other people. And look at verse 14, uh, 13 and 14, no, 14 and 15, which follow after this instruction in prayer. And it's the only thing that is really emphasized after the fact. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's like, yikes. Sometimes I'm not very good at forgiving people who have wronged me, but if you do not forgive others their sin, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. It's like, oh boy. Now, Jesus isn't playing games here. And what's he getting at? What, what, what is the essence of what he is saying? The idea here is very simply this. If we have experienced the grace of God and forgiveness, if God has come to us and shown us mercy, if God has come to us and given us forgiveness, which we can never deserve, we cannot withhold forgiveness from people who have wronged us. It would be a complete inconsistency between the two. See, Jesus is asking us to, to pray that our lives would be characterized by this grace that God has shown us that would flow through us to other people whenever necessary. Now, I know that's sometimes really hard to do, and I know sometimes that takes a while to get ourselves to. I take a while sometimes to get myself to forgiveness. Some, the greater the offense, the greater the length of time I find in my heart. But Jesus includes it in the prayer because our God will enable us to do what he calls us to do. And I want to say to you today these things. Number one, have you asked God for the forgiveness of your sin today? I'm not saying just do it like in your morning devotions. Whenever you sin, confess it. Whenever you sin, confess it. Just right away, clear it out. <clears throat> so you're in this constant experience of, of connection with the living God. And then I say to you, secondly, are there people in your lives you need to forgive? Now, this is kind of like the hard stuff. I get that. The, high, the, the greater the offense, the harder it is. I get it. But Jesus is unequivocal. As you have experienced it, so we're called to give it. And I want to tell you, my friends, if you pray this prayer with all of your heart, the Lord will enable you, and you will come to that place where you can forgive even the greatest wrong. So number one, God, give us what we need. Let us see you power moving in a regular basis. God, forgive us our sin and, and enable us to forgive those who have, have, have sinned against us so that we're in right relationship with you and we're in right relationship with other people. See it? And number three, verse 13, says this. The third of three requests that Jesus suggests we ask. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now that's a power-packed prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, a lot of people will say, well, God wouldn't lead me into temptation, would he? You think, don't put up your hand again, but you think God leads people into temptation? Leads them into that place where they're tempted to do what's wrong. Let me read to you Luke chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and 2. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this is after his baptism, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry, and the devil came with food. Lead us not, God, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We used to say deliver us from evil. We know now it literally means the evil one. There are times that that happens, and Jesus comes to us in this passage, and he says, you want to know how to pray? Ask God not to do that. Ask God to lead you away from temptation because you know you're weak, and you know if you're tempted, the chances are pretty good that you're going to fall. Don't let it happen, God. Intervene. Keep it from happening. And then this idea about going back, if we could, to verse 13, guys, <clears throat> this idea about deliver us from the evil one, Jesus is just dealing with spiritual reality. He's coming along. I'm calling him the big three in this section, right? And he's saying, you have an enemy called the devil, and he is a powerful being, and he has dark angels, demons, and they're at work in this world, and it is really, really important that on a regular and ongoing basis, you pray that God would empower you to overcome a power greater than yourselves. You know, you believe in the devil? The Bible describes the devil as a powerful being, but also like a lion who is prowling and seeking to devour us. Now, you can just kind of ignore that and pretend it's going to go away and it isn't a reality, and you become a vulnerable little lamb in the face of the lion. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. No more, no more little lamb. You know, I want you to get to the reality. Jesus is saying, look at the reality. You can't overcome the evil one. It isn't in you. You're not powerful enough. But I am, says the Lord. And he's saying, build into your prayer life. Build it in. Keep me from temptation, God. Don't lead me there. And come by your spirit and protect me. The word here is um, deliver. Other translation says rescue. You could put in protect. You don't do that. You become vulnerable, as do I, to this power which seeks. Jesus says he, the devil came, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Do you want anything stolen from you, your faith, you, you know, your, the, the dynamism of your faith? Do you want killed? Do you want destroyed? No. No, no, no. You don't want it, and God doesn't want it for you because he's your dad. And there are th these three critical elements that, that the Lord comes along to, and he just says, guys, pray in this way. Come to this place and, uh, over and over and over again and engage me. And Jesus is saying, ask your dad for this because if you ask your dad for this, he's going to do it. Now listen to me again. There are a lot of things that aren't in the prayer. It's, it's really remarkable. I mean, if we compare our prayers with this prayer of Jesus, they might not very often look alike. And certainly when we think about what we ask of God, it certainly doesn't boil down to three things. They might say, can you pray for other things? Yeah, you can pray for other things, yeah. But I think what Jesus is saying is don't miss these ones. Don't miss it, because you need it. You see, the reality in the end of the day is this. God, God wants you to have what you need. He wants to provide for you. He wants you to encounter his provision day after day after day and be blown away with this incredible God that you, you know and love. That's his will for you. And he'll do it if you ask him. And God wants you to come into his presence and confess your sin and to forgive other people so that you have right relationship with God, intimacy, connection, knowing his love, and you have right relationship with other people, living in that peace without conflict and strife and bitterness and heartache. He longs for his children to live there. 
And this God of ours, this incredible God of ours, he will come and he will keep us from temptation and he will keep the enemy at bay. He will protect us from the malevolent power of this world. Like you should all be jumping up and going, wow, that's incredible. Because we have an incredible God. That's what this comes to. We have an incredible God who loves us that much. You know, in the end of the day, I just want to ask you people who are here, who are followers of Jesus, who are the children of God. And again, if you're not, step into that relationship. Just do it. Get into the presence of God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life. I, I commit myself to following you. But I want to tell you beyond that point, just pray the way Jesus said to pray. You know, the whole passage, <laughs> the whole passage is the longing of God's heart for you, that you would know him as a father, not as a judge that you know that he's there for you and he's passionate about you and his eye is upon you and he loves you and he'll take care of you. And he wants you to prioritize him. You know that, right? Because that's where we thrive. And he wants us to live for his kingdom and to do his will and to pray for it and to long for it and to live it. It's an incredible life to live. And then he wants us to ask for at least these three things that we might know him in the way that I've described, that we might know life in the way that is described. Challenge complete. And very simply, my question to you is, who longs for the things that God longs for in your life? You know, I hope you do. And I hope even more than longing that God, that, that, that you would encounter these things and know these things, that you will pray for them. Like, pray for them. Quietly, in faith, and in confidence because you know God's will we're told to pray in the will of God and God will do it this is it I mean you, it can't get more clear right do this and God will do this and God will and you will encounter the Lord in powerful ways your life will be changed and you will know his goodness you know how we're going to finish today is we're going to pray the Lord's prayer first time by the way I used that phrase and that was a slip I didn't want to kind of go back to the familiarity. We've sung the prayer a few times. We did it today. And sometimes this prayer is said, often it's said, but it's said without meaning. That's partly why we don't say it every Sunday here. Familiarity just takes us beyond meaning. But I want us to pray this from the bottom of our hearts. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to say a phrase, and not with a regular cadence. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to say it out loud together but I don't want you to just say it I want you to pray it sincerely and passionately so if you wish let's pray together and I'd ask you to repeat simply what I say our father in heaven hallowed Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father, as we have prayed this prayer together, we have prayed your will for our lives. We have prayed in a way that opens up the possibility of us living the story and discovering you in beautiful and dramatic and wonderful ways. God, we want more of you. We want to encounter you. We want to experience your love. We want to know from your hand the things which we need in our lives. And we want to end up amazed, just amazed at who you are. Because you as our dad has given us, have, has given us what we need. So Lord, help us to pray like this. The disciples said, teach us to pray in Luke. And Jesus then said, this is how you should pray. God, I pray for every single person here, here who claims Jesus' name, who is a follower of his, who has opened up their lives to him and found that forgiveness that we described. And I just pray, Father, that they'll take these things to heart and they'll pray in the way that we have been instructed to pray. I pray they won't be just people who hear God's word and then blow it off, but people who hear it and then do what it says. Because as we do what it says, then, Lord, you open up us a life to us that you, you long for us to know. God, I pray that you will place a longing in the heart of everyone here for more of that life, more of an experience of you. And I pray, Lord, as that unfolds in our lives, that we will end up just utterly amazed at who you are. Lord, this walk with Christ and as your children, it's, it's not meant to be boring. And it's not meant to be uncomfortable and difficult. It's meant to be joy-filled. It's meant to be life-abundant. Life as good as life gets. And we pray together, our God, that you'll lead us into that in increasing measure we might discover you as the incredible God you are. So yes, our dad, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Could.